This is episode 201 with ultra marathoner, environmental activist, and former winner of both the Leadville 100 and the Western States 100 mile endurance run, the one and only Ms. Claire Gallagher. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and the episode you're about to listen to features one of the most exciting runners in the ultra-running community, Claire Gallagher. She vaulted onto the pro-running scene back in 2016 when she won the Leadville 100-miler here in Colorado without a coach and on her first attempt at the distance. We're talking about her adventures, her philosophy on coaching, and her unique training. Now, if you're new to the podcast, you can expect conversations between me and the thought leaders in the running industry to give you the knowledge, the mindsets, and the tools to get faster, stronger, and become a more capable athlete. Because if you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. I bet you'll also love our YouTube channel, where we have hundreds of videos on how to run longer, strength workouts, how to stay healthy and run with better form, and a lot more. Go to youtube.com slash strengthrunning, subscribe, and you'll see every video that we publish. And of course, strengthrunning.com is where it all began. Since 2010, we've been helping runners level up their training, race faster, prevent more injuries, and get stronger. You'll find our award-winning blog, our free email courses, and the full library of training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. Now, a big thanks to our sponsor, Elemental Labs, for making this episode possible. They want to gift you a free sample pack of electrolytes. All you have to do is pay for five bucks worth of shipping here in the U.S. Go to drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning, and you can sign up for a free sample pack. It has four flavors and eight individual packets to help you optimize your hydration this summer season. Our guest today is Claire Gallagher. Not many ultra runners can claim to have won two of the hardest 100 milers in the United States. The high altitude, high elevation change, Leadville 100, and the grueling Western States 100 mile endurance run. Claire has done both. She's also won the CCC 101K in 2017, which is part of the UTMB series, and has the fastest known times on both the Zion Traverse and the Joshua Tree Traverse. Claire is also an environmental activist, helping preserve public lands across the country and bringing much-needed attention to the issues that threaten the very lands our sport depends on. In this conversation, we're talking about Claire's meteoric rise in the sport, how she won a 100-miler with no experience of the distance and no coach, how low-mileage training works for her, and more. Claire is a genuinely wonderful person to be around, and her positivity is infectious. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation because I sure had fun having it. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Ms. Claire Gallagher. Claire, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Jason. We're waving just we're only like 30 miles away from each other. (laughs) I know, I know. I I hope in a not too distant future, I can do some more in-person podcast recordings because those are just always much more fun. Yeah. 
but it's great to see you and your plants. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a lot of plants, don't I? <laughs> yeah, they're beautiful. <laughs> well, I'm excited to have this opportunity to chat with you, Claire, uh, because you've been sort of adventuring around recently and you were practically up in Canada recently at the Boundary Waters. Uh, and so I'd love to hear more about that trip. How long were you up there for? Yeah, thanks for asking about it. It's uh, been a trip that's been probably three years in the making now. Uh, I was only up there for less than two weeks, but basically (laughs) the Boundary Waters is America's most visited wilderness area and its full name is the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. Um, And it's pretty impressive. A lot of people don't know it's the most visited wilderness area. You get, uh, it gets roughly 200,000 people there a year. So, you know, it beats out places like, I mean, just pick a wilderness area. I know they're not as popular as national parks, but we have tons of wilderness areas in Colorado, right? And, And this one in northern Minnesota boasts the most visitors in the country. Um, so it's it's a spectacular place that's strangely not on the radar of a lot of runners unless you live in the Midwest or Minnesota. And the whole reason I went up there, uh, besides from wanting to go check it out, is there's this incredible guy. His name's Alex Falconer. Everyone should look him up. He is this policy wonk, super nerd, who's the director of of policy government relations for Save the Boundary Waters, which is this super heavy hitting nonprofit that's trying to save the Boundary Waters. And you might ask, well, what needs to be saved if it's already a wilderness area? You know, like it's already designated as wilderness area, it's protected. Well, there is a proposed copper mine uh, that would be built just on the border of the Boundary Waters. So it's national forest area. And um, it's like technically, yeah, there are mineral leases for this company. It's a Chilean company. Uh, They theoretically could make this this copper mine, or yeah, here. But the problem is a copper mine isn't like, you know, a contained box. Like there's inevitably going to be leaching of mine tailings, of hard minerals. And the key thing about the Boundary Waters is it's water. There's water everywhere. <laughs> and and so um, the idea of a, of a hard metal mine, like a cop- sulfide or copper mine, on the border of this extremely pristine, well-protected place, um, ancestral lands of the Ashinaabe people, uh, is really terrifying and save the boundary waters has been working to protect this place for, um, years now. So that's a long rambling, quick explanation. <laughs> um, yeah, I went up there to run with Alex cause Alex is a badass. And so here's this like policy nerd who is doing everything he can in DC and Minnesota Right. And and trying to get support from other the other 49 states, people like us who live, you know, in Colorado. And so many people have Midwestern ties, right? Like, do you have any Midwestern ties? Not really. Some of my wife's family lives in Pittsburgh, but I don't know if that's the Midwest. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I mean, Pittsburgh, you're like practically to Ohio, then you're like, yeah. So, you know, everyone has some sort of ties maybe at some point. So the Midwest, it feels like it. And the Boundary Waters are arguably the Midwest's 
you know, it's their, it's like their Zion, right? Like it's this pristine, beautiful place that I was blown away with how beautiful this place is. It's like, oh, the water. I mean, we were drinking water straight out of the middle of these lakes. So basically it's just thousands of lakes that are all somewhat patched together with little slots of land. So a lot of people are like, why the heck is this guy going to run across this this like lake land? <laughs> and Alex, being the super passionate ultra runner, he's in his early 40s, but he's only gotten into running in the last six years, especially ultra running. He um, he was he did some research. He's like, oh, there's this 65 mile border route trail, which basically um, is the Minnesota Canadian border. And then it connects to this thing called the Keck. I just know it by its abbreviation. It's, it's like the Keck trail. Um, I don't want to mispronounce it. And that's another 40 miles. And so it goes essentially across the entire wilderness area. And it's an iconic traverse. Like I did 35 miles of it with him um, he, he, he did it. He, he did the hundred mile or 110 miles, like spoiler, he crushed it. He did in 39 hours, set a new FKT, the first person to ever do this in one go. Um, he was not running slow. Like there were some slow miles that actually I was pacing him, um, because of pretty gnarly rain and, and cold weather in the middle of the night. But, um, yeah, he did it. And here we are talking about it, you know, and the whole point of adventures like this is to expand, people's just illiteracy of like the amazing places in America and and what's at risk and why it's at risk and what we can do about it. Um, and the short of it is if people look up Alex Falconer, just Google save the boundary waters, you can send a, a really nice message to your senators, um, but to both of your senators, everyone has two senators and to your one representative. Uh, and these are the people representing us at the federal level in DC They'll get um, a note. You can add a personal note, and um, I'll send you the link. You can add it in the show notes, Jason. But um, for say a senator in Colorado or a senator in Florida or a representative in Wyoming to get this note that my constituent cares about this place in northern Minnesota is really, really meaningful. Because when the time comes for a vote on the bill to permanently protect this place, there's a bill in the House right now, the House of Representatives, and there will be a companion bill in the Senate, hopefully this year. Um, they might be more inclined to vote yes. You know, if if some uh, random trail runner like you or I <laughs> sends that note. And yes, some people might be like, oh, it's just clicktivism. You know, what is this going to do? But the reality is there's... The, there's room for more voices to speak up for the boundary waters. Um, so here we are. <laughs> well, I didn't even know about this place until I saw you posting about it on Instagram and you included some really beautiful photos of, you know, the, the natural environment there. And, and I don't think I realized how big it was too. I mean, he traversed it in, it, it was actually more than a hundred miles, wasn't it? Yeah. 110. 110. Don't discount on that, that extra 10 oh, miles. Oh gosh. There. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That takes a while. <laughs> and I mean, so I, I'm a big fail, fan of um, a little more runnable trails. You know, I'm training for Western States right now. I do quite a bit of road running. Like you live in Denver, so I know you probably are doing a ton of bike path running. Um, and this is not bike path running. <laughs> like 
the the trails in northern Minnesota should not be underestimated. And I know I, I've heard amazing things about the Superior 100, which is a, a renowned 100 miler up there. And then um, there's, of course, the Superior Hiking Trail, which is a long point to point. I don't I think it's like 500 miles or something. Um, my buddy, Brittany Peterson, who got second at Western States a couple years ago, um, we dueled it out at the at the finish line. And then her partner, Cody Lind, who's a great runner, they're both from Idaho now, um, they, they ran the whole Superior Hiking Trail, which is like perpendicular to the Boundary Water Trails. Um, and I saw Brittany at the airport yesterday, so that's why it's fresh on my mind. And she's like, Claire, my feet are still recovering. Like, my toes were so destroyed because it's, it's rocky, it's rooty, it's wet, it's extremely narrow, single track. You feel like you're in a temperate rainforest because you kind of are. I mean, it's not actually a rainforest, but it's it's temperate trees. There's so many ferns. Oh, it's just, it's such a fabulous ecosystem. Um, and it's really, really hard running. So I hope some people are inspired to go beat Alex's FKT. That's what he wants. <laughs> he wants to lose his FKT because he wants more people to go see this trail, like get wrecked by it, you know, and do it properly. You got to have proper aid. Um, you know, it's a, a logistical nightmare to be perfectly honest. You have to, you know, get in with the locals, get canoe support and stuff. But, um, yeah, like let's make this a running destination because <laughs> it's worthy of it. It is, it is so legit. Ugh. I think for people who like adventure, you saying that you're going to need canoe support for a trail run <laughs> is a big selling point. Yeah. I mean, he had, so he has these amazing coworkers from their campaign, Save the Boundary Waters. And not a lot of them are runners, but they all are canoe people, right? You got to be if you're trying to save this place. And uh, one group canoed three hours to get into the aid station. Another group had to stay for two full days. Um, cause I, yeah, they just stayed, but they also canoed for like two and a half hours. And, um, you know, it's the only way you can get to these, to these little plots of land, unless you're running like a hundred miles across. So it was just like, a incredible, uh, like, it was an expedition. I mean, it truly was an expedition. I know people often use those terms for like high mountain adventures or, you know, like extreme river rafting. And even though the water of the canoe areas is, is super calm and, and thankfully it was, it was, it was really calm when we were there for the most part. Um, you can still have an expedition up there <laughs> in the boundary waters, uh, and lots of great outfitters to hire. So yeah, put it on your list, everyone. <laughs> It just seems very remote. And that's, I think, what makes it very attractive to a certain subset of runners who, you know, might be interested in FKTs or very difficult trail running or, or just running in a place that that isn't as, you know, popular as other places might be. Can I feel like there's, you know, there's so many big F FKTs and, and amazing running spots here in Colorado, but they're all well known. And, you know, most runners here in Colorado have run some of those big popular trails. And now we have something all new, something that we almost haven't explored before. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time and talking to all kinds of trail runners and ultra runners. And I've never heard of the most visited wilderness area in the United States. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, you and me both, Jason, because even though I have a lot of family from Minnesota and Wisconsin, um, 
And I had heard about them going up there. Like my grandfather went there probably six, uh, close to 70 years ago because he's 90. And he was like, oh yeah, Claire, we would just grab a canoe and we'd go deep into Canada. And he's like, I probably was up there for five weeks once with only um, canned food. And and I'm just like, what? This Where is this place? You know, and but my grandfather moved to Colorado because he loves the sun. So, <laughs> um you know, I've heard these stories from my family and then to have it come to the present moment of like, oh, this is also a running paradise um, in many, many ways and and really worth just like talking about so we know what's at risk. You know, yes, we need copper in in our lives. I use copper every day. We're using it right now on our computers. Um, but... <laughs> This particular location for a copper mine is so harebrained. Like to to put a copper mine basically on a pristine water source on Earth in 2021 makes zero zero sense. Like we have so few sources of fresh water left on Earth, and and the Boundary Waters is the is the the zenith of the freshwater. So it there's no like higher source. It's coming from there, and then it flows. Um, I think into into the U.S. and Canada uh, separately. I, I could be wrong on that, but um, so to put a copper mine near such a pristine water source is, yeah, it just makes very little sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I hope we can bring some more attention to it uh, because it does seem like a super important issue for all those reasons that you said. I mean, putting a huge mine. You know, there's one thing about a mine in Colorado, out in the mountains, away from everyone where there's not these water sources, you know, there can be a case for that. And, and, and this is a very different issue, I feel like. Yeah, it's pretty unique. Yeah. And thankfully, there is really, really broad support. Um, you know, if we just keep sort of chipping away and sending those letters when people have a spare moment. Um, uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we can, we can uh, prevent this one. Now, how did your pacing of Alex in the Boundary Waters, how does this fit in with your prep for Western States? Uh, <laughs> you know, is this basically just like a, a big weekend of, of kind of multiple long runs? How do you think about this from a training perspective? Yeah, so I did it exactly one month out from Western States. So the end of uh, a little, yeah, the end of May and... I ran a 30 mile section with Alex and it was probably one of the more challenging sections just because it got dark and we had a couple hours of pretty intense thunder and lightning storms. And I mean, we were moving the whole time, but you know, you slow down a lot uh, when it's that wet and kind of scary. <laughs> and so it was, I don't even know how long I was out there for, you know, it felt like half a day and uh, I I've had this on my calendar now for two full years. Like we were supposed to do this. Um, I think Alex wanted to maybe do it in 2019 didn't work out. And then, and then last year COVID hit. And so it just wasn't even an option to say no, like this is so important. I think to the legacy of humanity, to be honest. And I'm not saying like my, my piece in this, but Alex's piece in this grander picture of like these places we can save. Um, I just, uh, yeah, I told my coach, David Roche, I was like, hey, this is happening. And David and I have a incredible relationship. Like he, 
he just, he lets me do my thing. He knows what brings me joy. He knows that like at the end of the day, if I'm, you know, just uh, like going to be super aggro about like hitting these exact miles on the exact days for the perfect Western States training that I won't actually be a good runner because so much of ultra running is mental, right? And, and motivation based and passion driven. And so, um, yeah, it wasn't awesome Western States training to be like going over the rockiest like single track, you know, in like 40 degree wet weather through the night. Uh, but it filled my cup so full. Um, it, just to run with someone new, especially after this year of, you know, basically hibernation, um, was was incredible. And I was with this great photographer, a good friend of mine, Brendan Davis. He was shooting for Patagonia. And then it was super fun. And then we had another Patagonian ambassador, Peyton Thomas. And then last minute, you probably know this guy, Kyle Piatari gets on an email chain. He's a Denver runner. He's a he's like a big firm, big law firm lawyer guy. Uh he's he's gotten top 10 at Western States the last four years. So he's this like incredible runner, but he's like emails the group and we come to find out he is the lawyer for this campaign, Save the Boundary Waters. He he's a he's a pro bono lawyer for this nonprofit. <laughs> and he has Midwest ties, like his wife's from Duluth and and he's like, I gotta go. Like even though he's also training for Western States. So Kyle ran 40 miles with Alex and we're both, you know, in peak training weeks for Western States and we just made it work. Like this is just one of those things where running is, it's not just like the running bucket, you know, running overlaps with life in the Venn diagram, right? So this this is just where that that happened. And the more challenging part was then we went canoeing for three days because Alex and his wife, Erica, were like, okay, now you got to experience it the real way. You know, they're like, everyone's going to make fun of us if you only come to run. Like the real way to experience the Boundary Waters is canoeing. <laughs> so so we took, you know, uh, a handful of days off off our feet and you just got to you just got to do it. Like I couldn't say no. Um, we, we did spend some time in a sauna cause they have this like little cabin at the border of, in this portal town called Ely. Um, and they had a, a little sauna and, uh, so we, we spent some quality hours in there sweating our brains off. So that was fun. <laughs> There's some good Western States training right there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And uh, Jason, you got to meet Kyle. He is outrageous. He's so funny. Um, he, he lives in Edgewater. So right by Sloan's Lake. Um, yeah, he, he'd be a great guest for you to have. Uh, his his lifestyle is pretty, pretty wild. Um, so anyways, it was it was just one of those trips where you're just like, man, I'm so lucky, you know, like to witness this feat and. Alex will be on a plane to DC as soon as uh, DC opens to to basically outside visitors, um, you know, nonprofits visits again. So, like the journey continues, the advocacy journey continues. He's going to share his story and and hope we get some traction. Well, I, I really like how you've made your other life ambitions, your advocacy work, fit into your running ambitions. And I think your career is just so fascinating following it over the last five years or so since so, since sort of you, you won Leadville back in 2016, the Leadville 100. 
And I'd love to talk about your career. I just find it so interesting. And, you know, you, you kind of burst onto the scene winning Leadville and, um, you know, that's arguably one of the more difficult 100s that you can do. It's a high, it's high altitude. It's a lot of elevation. And it was your first attempt at the 100-mile distance, right? So yeah. <laughs> when, did you, when did you start getting interested in ultras? Because it seems to me that someone diving into the Leadville 100 as their first 100 and then winning it, th- that almost doesn't happen. So <laughs> walk us through like how you got there. Yeah, well, a lot of it was a lot of naivete, to be perfectly honest. (laughs) I mean, I was 24, Jason. I was green as can be. So, I mean, I've been running my whole life. I ran collegiately uh, in New Jersey at Princeton. So I did, you know, cross country, indoor track, outdoor track for four years, was pretty burned out, to be honest. And then I was living in Thailand for a couple years after that, uh, teaching English in a little fishing village. And I had a lot of free time and I kind of rediscovered my love for running there because it was a way to explore. And I signed up for a 50 50 miler in Northern Thailand on the, on the border of Myanmar. And that was my like hook and that was the bait. And then I was hooked. Like it was, it was heinous and crazy and amazing and, and like changed my life forever. And, and so that was in 2014. And then I was like traveling a bunch, trying to figure out my life. You know, I still am, aren't we all? And, uh, and in 2016, I moved to Boulder which is where I still live. And I, I got linked up with this, this trail running group, which I just, I'm a very social runner. So I just love running in groups, Rocky Mountain Runners. You should totally come to our Monday rain runs if you want, Jason. Um, and, and they're just a bunch of crazy ultra freaks. Like these people are insane. Everyone's doing a hundred mile or some weekend. Some are like doing some just for fun that are like not even real races. You know, it's just people who are obsessed with doing crazy runs. And I kind of just got the bug and I was like, maybe I'll sign up for my first hundred. And I actually qualified with via the Austin Rattler. So if anyone's looking for a a little smoother way to get into Leadville, train for the Austin Rattler. It's sometime in the spring (laughs) because, because it's easier to get golden or it's like the Leadville equivalent of golden ticket races. Um, so that's how I got into Leadville. And then yeah, I I showed up. I like was super super broke, so I didn't really have any gels. That's why I was eating frosting. Um and and it just was one of those days. I to be honest, haven't had one of those days ever ever si- since then and I don't think I ever will where it just it just worked out. I don't even think I got a blister, you know. And so I clearly like I have the the the, uh, the 100 mile distance in me. Um, and I was super fit and I think I just tapped into this part of my athletic and like mental self that day that, um, yeah, has now become my career. So, um, I'm glad I did it, but I know it's a little unconventional. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and another aspect of the race that I think was unconventional was the fact that when you won the race, you didn't have a coach. Was it easy for you to go into a race like your first high altitude, a hundred miler without the guidance and support from a coach? Because I understand, you know, you've mentioned your coach, David Roche, who I've had on the podcast. He's amazing. 
And, you know, like on the one hand, I totally agree. Like I think a certain level of just being naive about what you're getting into is such a great thing. You know, ignorance is bliss in a certain way. But then on the other hand, you know, being prepared is obviously beneficial. So how do you kind of think about that? I mean, do you think that now coaching is giving you a lot of more confidence or just more structure? How how does that work for you? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I don't know if I know the answer to how that worked out. I didn't have a coach since since college, so it was exact it was almost like two full years where I was I mean, I was blop, bopping around in Southeast Asia for most of those two years with friends backpacking and I would fit in runs when I could and I did use Chrissy Mail's uh, t- is it running your first ultra or training for your sur- first ultra? Um, her her book, which I think is a seminal book on ultra running training. Chrissy Mail is a, a longtime Patagonia trail running ambassador. She has she won the first UTMB. Um, yeah, she's she's just a total legend. And I remember like trying to screenshot parts of her book when I was living in Thailand. Uh, when I had like good Wi-Fi, and um, and that's sort of the mentality I took all the way to Leadville. But I also really relied on these these uh, veterans of the sport. You know, like yeah, ignorance is bliss to an extent, but also it's important to be safe in the mountains and like you know not get dehydrated. And I I, I think asking questions is the biggest thing we can do. And so that's what I relied on that summer was just. Constantly asking questions, especially to a dear friend Ryan Smith, who he won Leadville actually two years ago. Um, I think he was forty-one, um, <laughs> and I mean he's been doing this for yeah twenty plus years. So, so he's been really huge as a mentor for me. Um, and then I'll be honest, I think a coach is is almost necessary. Like I wouldn't have had the career post Leadville since Leadville without David. David um, approached me after the race. Uh, we quickly became friends. And then I think I started working with him a couple months later, uh, just because I realized like the mental fatigue of trying to make your own workouts, trying to know, am I doing what's right? Am I, you know, is this good? Like, and analyzing all that data, like that takes time. So it's like, I always tell people, go hire a coach. Um, you know, unless unless that's someone's, you know, reading the literature and analyzing your own data is something someone likes to do and has time for. I don't like to do it, to be honest. I like to be, uh, yeah, I like the relationship I have with David. I love trusting him because I think he's brilliant, you know, and I'm sure you have this similar relationship with, a, you know, your runners, right? <laughs> and yeah, it's really. It, I think it's just great to to first have that relationship and to be able to talk about whatever's going on in your life and and to know that hey, if you want to tell your coach that you're going to go up to the boundary waters, maybe it isn't ideal a month out from Western states, but you have that relationship where they're going to make it work and they're going to know what's important for you. I think that's that's something really special and. I can certainly attest to the fact that probably the number one reason why I work or why any runner hires me is because they simply don't want the stress of planning their training. And I'll hear from runners all the time. It's like, I got to the point where every Sunday it was so stressful for me because I would sit down and be like, all right, what am I doing this week? And, and 
that's such a big question. You know, what are my goals? What did I do last week? What do I want to do three weeks from now that I have to do this week to prepare? And it's just juggling all these balls in the air and just offloading that task. I liked how you talked about how it was almost saving you mental energy, you know, just offloading that cognitive stress that you were having. And now you just go out there and run whatever's on the schedule. You trust David that it's a a good schedule that's going to meet your body's needs at the time. And I think that's just so super valuable. Yeah, it's and and also having a coach that's staying up on on new research, I think is is so so worth whatever hiring a coach is because uh, whatever the cost is, um, like analyzing you know studies that are coming out of like even especially just say every single injury a runner might endure, like having a running coach who is up on how to best go about this. Obviously, like seeing a doctor is is necessary in most cases, but um. It's it's so invaluable to to know. Okay, hey, like even David has been harping on female caloric deficits recently because all this fascinating new research is coming out on like the the really cr- the crucialness of getting enough calories in on an hourly basis, especially while running, especially for females, um, for women, uh, just because of the way hormones work and. I would never have read that on my own. You know, like I'm just like I'm interested in it to an extent, but that's, you know, that's not that's not like it's not my day job. So, um <laughs> so I think it's it I think what you do, what David does, you know, what every coach out there does is just um it's it's incredible and I'm so grateful for yeah, what you all do. Well, thank you, Claire. This is such a, an ode to coaching right now. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it's funny. Yeah. Cause people will sometimes ask me advice, like friends, of course, or, or whatnot. And I usually am like, I can only say so much. And then I'm like, you really just need to hire a coach. Like, you know, so. Yeah. And you know what? The longer I've coached, the more I realize that coaching is so multifaceted and sixth dimensional because you're at, any given time, you're kind of being asked with being being a therapist, being a running coach, being a physical therapist, being a mental performance coach, and, and everything in between. Sometimes you're acting as like almost a nutritionist. Sometimes you're being the cheerleader. Sometimes you do need to be a little bit of a drill sergeant. And so you have to tap into all these different aspects of who you are and the types of coaching that you can provide based on the situation and the athlete. And I find it to be a very rewarding career and profession because exactly that. I I almost never know what I might be doing or talking about or what problem we might be solving or goal we might be achieving. And so it's endlessly fascinating and complex because it's always changing. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, I would love to talk about you getting into the 200 mile race distance, Claire. Is oh, it something? Man. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to see what you might say. Didn't see that one coming. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, what do you want to know? <laughs> Is there something that you are even interested in? And, and I ask you because you mentioned that running that first ultra kind of lit this fire under you, rekindled your passion for the sport. You went into your first hundred with a certain level of naivete and the ultra community I think is getting more and more 
I don't want to say extreme because that has some negative connotations to it, but there are 200 mile races now. And I had Candace Burt on the podcast a little while back and she runs a, a bunch of different 200 mile races, you know, the triple crown, I think she calls it. And they're just becoming more popular. And it's almost like the 200 mile distance is in the same life cycle as the 100 mile distance, but maybe from 15 years ago. You know, it's still this extreme thing, but people are getting 200 mile curious and, you know, they might, <laughs> might, they might want to go over there and, and experiment a little bit. So, yeah, I'm just curious. Is it something that you've thought about or uh, are you allergic to running a step over 100 miles? It's it's funny. Uh, Jamil asked me uh, sometime, I think it was when we were chatting during his live coverage of Black Canyon this this February. Uh, he was like, come down to the his 200 that just happened in Arizona. I think it's called like Coconino 200. Um, and I'll say the same thing I to you that I told him. Absolutely not. I have uh, um, a ton of respect. I think it's rad. People are into that. I, I I can't even fathom myself, like a version of myself signing up for that. Maybe like 5% of myself might do one at one point. But to be honest, Jason, like 100 miles is so taxing as it is. And especially... Um, like racing, uh, the mental and uh, anyone who does a hundred miles for, you know, um, but personally, like the energy I put into every hundred mile race I've done. Um, I mean, the only two I've finished, uh, yeah, the only two I've finished, I've won. I DNF'd Western States 2017 at mile 93. So that was a bummer. Oh man. (laughs) Awkward. Um, 93 miles. Yeah, that was fun. And then, uh, I DNF'd, uh, UTMB, uh, around like mile 50. And so, yeah, I take hundred milers various, very, very seriously. I mean, it's not to say that I'm only going to finish a hundred miler if I'm winning it, like absolutely not. Um, but I'm still pretty young in the sport. I'm 29. Uh, I don't have that much experience at hundreds compared to a lot of veterans out there. I want to keep honing in on this distance. And to be honest, I really would love to see what my fast twitch muscles can do. I love racing 50 Ks. I just raced a 21 miler in Idaho this past weekend, Scout Mountain Ultras, amazing race. And I mean, I was closing so hard and I just love that burn. Like running fast is still so appealing to me and I want to get faster. I'd love to to go for an OTQ potentially in the marathon when, when those standards come out in the next couple of years. Um, so, you know, that's a lot, you, you know, and you can only do so much. So if I ever do a 200, I, I think it'll be uh, over a decade from now. <laughs> Well, fair enough. I, I had to ask. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I asked is I, I also think your career is very interesting because you're one of the few ultra runners who runs relatively low mileage. And it, it's just kind of different to see that. Um, and, you know, I, I think I read that you typically do about 50 to 80 miles a week with the 80, maybe 85 is like your peak weeks as you're pre- prepping for a really long race. Uh, now, of course, mileage obviously isn't everything, but it's just so interesting to see such a different approach that is also very effective for you. You've had some great success. 
So I was just wondering, you know, how do you think you're making it work compared with some of your competitors and peers who might be running double the number of miles that you're running every week? Yeah, this is a conversation that I've really been having a lot in the last few weeks. Just, you know, everyone's got Western states on their minds. At least, uh, you know, I run with a bunch of women I'm going to be competing against who are my good friends. Um, My dear friend, Addie Bracey, runs some weeks double what I run. Like, so um, I'm running right now. I think my highest, I don't even think I've hit 80 this spring, Jason. So I, for what I do, which is like what I'm training for a hundred miler. Yeah. I'm incredibly low mileage. I've been basically 50 to 75 miles, uh, all spring per week. And yeah, Addy, I think has like pulled a couple hundred 20 mile weeks. So, and then a lot of my other competitors as well. Um, and it's funny because I was talking to Megan Hicks about this, Megan Hicks of I run far. Uh, she, she ran a 50 in Idaho. Um, she did great. Anyway, she just was laughing cause she's like, I love ultra running so much because you can run 70 mile weeks and win Western States and you can run 150 mile weeks and win Western States. And you just never know, you know, there's not a perfect formula for who's going to be the best at this sport. And I'm a huge fan of transparency. All of my runs are on Strava. Uh, like I'll, I'll answer any question about my training. It's honestly kind of boring. Like I don't run that much. <laughs> I, I do like one speed workout a week and I do strides a couple days a week. I do a couple long, like one long run, usually maybe two in peak training and and it works for me. And that's where I think going back to the the love of coaching, um, David Roach, I think is a genius. I think he's a savant. He knows what my body needs better than I do. And I pretty much get injured like when I hit 80 miles. So there's no point in pushing these 90, 100 mile weeks for me. My body's um, sadly a little more fragile than others. <laughs> and And it's okay. Like, I just, I honestly feel really lucky that I can be low mileage and and still perform at a high level. And, and I'd be curious to see if, if some of the higher mileage folks out there, um, you know, toned it down a little bit, if, if they would still be able to perform at a high level. I don't know. Cause I'm not like as smart as you or David who studies this stuff, but, uh, I feel strongly that, yeah, low mileage can work. Of course, low is is all relative. Like I, I'm aware I run quite a bit compared to like the average person, but um, you know, and I want to keep running fun. Like running 70 miles a week for me sometimes is exhausting. Like I'm I'm on you know I'm leveled on my couch like on Sunday night. Other weeks it's just like I have all this extra energy and and my baseline though of keeping my mileage at this you know, 60, 70 mile per week is, is that like, I can still live my life, you know, and like go for a hike with a family member if, you know, or a friend or whatever. I also swim really slowly for like 30 minutes at a time, a couple times a week. (laughs) So that's another like strange cross training. And I'll like sit in the hot tub a lot throughout the winter. Um, I don't do any strength work other than body weight because I get injured. And yeah, it'd be interesting to see if I devoted a little more time to training and and honing in some strength and whatnot, if I could get faster and better. But I kind of am on that train of like, don't 
don't fix what isn't broken. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you're most limited by your injury risk. And so you you cap yourself at around 80 because that seems to be your your natural governor. And and I remember when I was training a lot, mine was 90. You know, whenever I hit 90, it, you know, inevitably the next week something would happen to my body. Yeah. So <laughs> a lot of trial and error, more error than anything else. Uh, we found out that no, I just shouldn't really go past 90. And yeah, I mean, can you talk a little bit about how maybe a 60 or 70 mile week is structured for you? Are you doing double sessions? Are you running every day or maybe it's only six days a week and then you're taking a day off? Like, how does it look from a weekly basis? Yeah, I take one day off per week, always, almost always. Um, it's a tenant of David's philosophy and it's it's beautiful. Like I just, yeah, having a day off of running, I think will keep me running like, you know, 80 years from now, hopefully. I mean, if I'm alive, we'll see. But um, <laughs> so let's just, I can go through a week. Like typically I'll take Monday off. Tuesday will be eight to 10 miles with some strides, like four strides. They might be flat or they might be uphill for 30 second strides. Wednesday is usually a workout day. And again, these workouts are like comically short, um, for an ultra runner. Uh, I might do a ladder of like one, two, three, four, three, two, one, or maybe something like a 10 by three minute. Um, and when I say one, two, three, four, those are minute intervals, not miles. <laughs> um, I think last week I did four by two minutes with two minutes rest, four by 90 seconds, 90 seconds rest, four by one minute, one minute rest. And so they're fast. Like I'm, I'm definitely, you know, breathing hard. I'm, I feel really tired by the end. Um, but then I cool down a couple miles and, and that's it. Um, then I might double, like recently I've been doubling on Wednesdays, maybe three or four miles. Um, cause this is like my peak training. And then Thursday is pretty much, yeah, easy hour run. Friday's easy hour run. Saturday's a long run, anywhere from 15 to 25 miles. Or in the Boundary Waters case, it was 30. <laughs> and Sunday's like a medium, medium long run. So usually around like 15 to 20. Um, and And that's it. I mean, you can look at my Strava. Anyone can go check it out. Like it's... I, I've been a huge fan of consistency. Like it's, it's, there's no secrets here. <laughs> and I mean, you probably like, yeah, you, you, I'm sure have a somewhat similar structure for your athletes. Like, do you, is this somewhat similar to what you give your athletes? Yeah, I think it's really similar. I mean, I think there's a couple things that you're doing that are specific to your goals of ultra running that not every runner is going to do like doubling on a workout day. I think that extra easy run in the afternoon is is probably helping you with becoming more efficient with fuel use. Uh, it's probably really helping, you know, the recovery process, but you know, you're running even just a little bit on very tired legs in the afternoon after a morning workout. I think that's beneficial. You're basically doing back-to-back -back long runs most weekends. You know, I know they're not super long for an ultra runner, uh, but you're kind of indexing the things that are important for longer distance runners in a structure that's relatively low mileage. And so, yeah, within that confines of low mileage, which I might say is not even a confine for you, 
you're structuring it in a way that gives you outsized returns on your goal of basically more endurance, you know, more aerobic development of your aerobic system. So I think it's, I think it's great. And yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it does look a lot similar to, uh, training that I might develop because, you know, I remember talking to your coach, David on the podcast and, you know, he, he is, a, just has a very good head on his shoulders and, and he really drives home the fundamentals. And, and that is something that I also think is just super important. Um, I'm always saying consistency is the secret sauce of successful running. You want to be a good runner. You've got to run consistently. And I think runners do tend to make training more complex than it has to be, uh, with, crazy workouts and, and analyzing all your metrics from your GPS watch and things like that. If you want to go down the rabbit hole of being the geekiest running nerd on the planet, <laughs> you can do that and we can make it, you know, very complex and, and just complicated. But I think you are living proof that you don't have to make things overly complicated and you can have tremendous success by keeping things simple. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> So what's coming next for you, Claire? I, I know you don't like to sit still for very long. So, you know, are you planning any races? You mentioned uh, Western States coming up in a month, but, you know, thinking further out and not just racing too, but any, you know, runs that might be bringing awareness to other issues or projects that you have, what's going on in your life these days? Yeah, I, uh, well, with Western States, and like I said, I'm still somewhat new to hundred milers. I found in 2019, the year I won that I really benefited from not putting any races on my calendar for afterwards. And, and, and maybe this is shows my mental limitations, <laughs> but having something in the back of my head that I need to be on the start line for is I think mental energy. And, and by clearing that off my slate, I, it's, I can go in to Olympic Valley, Tahoe, California on June 26th and, and just know that all I need to do is right there on that day. And I think it's, it's unique in the pro world. You know, you talk to any other pro and they probably have four other races lined up for the rest of this year. And, and I just, I think this works for me. And, and I think if someone's going to do a hundred milers, you know, like I need to give it the space it, it deserves. So that's my uh, one little soapbox about that. Um, <laughs> I get that like races take planning and you have to sign up for races, but um, yeah, so I have literally nothing. Um, and I will be crewing a ton of other races this summer in Colorado for some friends. I'll be crewing my buddy Ryan Smith at Hard Rock, um, my buddy at, at High Lonesome, another friend at, at, at Leadville. So, you know, there's like all of the summer. And uh, my dad actually has been. I, I grew up in Colorado. My dad's from Colorado. He's I'm from Englewood, um, so not far from you. Oh, very close. Yeah, and he's been chipping away at the Colorado Trail in segments, and he hikes it. And it's been years now, and and he's um, yeah, he's getting into some of the high mountain areas. So the Colorado Trail goes from Durango to Denver for listeners who don't know, and it's about 500 miles. And so I'm going to join my dad on some segments this summer, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, slowing down a little bit and, um, you know, reaping some wisdom from our elders. <laughs> is he and, a runner or is he going to hike the trail? He is hiking it. 
capital H I K I N G. Uh, my dad is a runner, but yeah, he'll be hiking the the Colorado Trail, and um, it'll be good to give back. My dad's given me so much um, in in the realm of ultra running. He's crewed me for a lot of races. He's developed my love for for being in the mountains, and so. Yeah, I'm just trying to maintain some balance, you know, of like these really intense races mixed with family time, mixed with, you know, crewing time. And I would like to apply to the U.S. uh, team for the world championships. So I don't know if you knew this, but trail world championships has just been basically adopted or like uh, consumed or whatever the term is by IAAF, which is like the track federation, which is really, really cool because trail world championships are more legit now. And they're all going to be like the short distance and the ultra distance will all be in one venue now, which in the past you've probably seen, or people have seen like, Oh, another trail world championship, like West distance is at this time. And they're all scattered. And now they're all going to be, it's in Thailand this year in November, um, which I'm very keen to go back. And, and so you'll have like the short distance, the one that like Joe Gray wins, you know, like every year and, um, and then like a mid distance and then the ultra distance, which will probably be around a hundred K. And so I am going to apply for the hundred K team for team USA. And it is resume based this year because they don't want to encourage or, you know, require qualifier races with COVID. So we'll see that that might end up being on my schedule. Well, that's all so fascinating. And I think it is another great example of you just having balance in your life and having other pursuits and, you know, just wanting to go hiking with your dad and giving back to him and uh, all these different things that you have going on, Claire. And, and I love how you are just such a multifaceted, multidimensional pro runner and you have such an interesting, unique view on the sport and on life. So I wanted to acknowledge that and thank you for your time here today. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for all you do for for runners everywhere. Like you, you keep running cool. So keep it up. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> you're giving us some. You're giving us some street cred. So yeah, I love your podcast and um, yeah. Thanks. Well, I appreciate it, and I'm going to include links to some of the amazing stuff that we discussed in the show notes on strength running. So listeners can check out there. Claire Gallagher, thank you so much for being here. Thanks. Let's save the boundary waters. And that's all folks. A big thanks to Claire for making some time for us today and sharing more about her career, her racing, and the projects that mean a lot to her. Connect with her on Instagram at Claire underscore Gallagher underscore runs. Lastly, But not least, our sponsor, Elemental Labs, is here for you this summer. If you have a high sweat rate, or if you're like me and you have very salty sweat, it's important to dial in your hydration. Elemental Labs is offering a free sample pack with four flavors and eight electrolyte packets at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. You only have to pay for shipping, which is $5 here in the U.S., Elemental Labs makes electrolytes for athletes and low-carb folks with no sugar, no artificial ingredients, or colors. Now, you guys know at this point, I'm very partial to the citrus flavor, which I honestly can't get enough of, but they also now have watermelon and grapefruit, two new flavors for 2021 that I absolutely love. Now, I mentioned before that it was my beverage of choice after a very long, hot ride in the front range just a few weeks ago. 
It's just tasty and delicious and something I really enjoy when I do any running more than about 45 minutes. And for those athletes, maybe that's you who might be running five or more days per week. Maybe you're training for longer events like the half marathon or longer. Maybe you're outside in the heat. An electrolyte replacement makes a lot of sense. And I'm very encouraged by the fact that Navy SEAL teams, Olympic teams, and other pro athletes have started using elemental electrolyte supplements to improve their performance. Check them out at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. You can try their sample pack and get your hydration optimized for the upcoming summer season. Thank you again for being here and subscribing to the podcast. I'm so grateful for your support, your messages and feedback, and the reviews you left the show. If you ever need anything, reach out to me at support at strengthrunning.com. Until next time. 